when I was in third grade, the Pope, John Paul II, came to my town. Now, we were not Catholic. I was raised Presbyterian in a very conservative town. Uh, I wasn't really even sure uh, who the Pope was. <laughs> I'd seen the get-up, you know, I, knew, I, could, I could point out the Pope in the crowd. <laughs> but, uh, but I knew that this was something big. And I knew it was something big because the entire county, Monterey County, was shut down for the Pope's visit, <laughs> including my public grammar school. The Pope was not just coming to our like general area. He was going to celebrate a mass for 50,000 people at Laguna Seca Raceway. <laughs> Laguna Seca Raceway, which is a track known around the world for its bends and its hills. It's a beautiful track. If, if you've ever played any video games, you probably are familiar, <laughs> whether or not you know it or not. But Laguna Seca is a famous raceway. But Laguna Seca uh, was better known locally uh, for a festival that the Grateful Dead put on every year there. Uh, it was, uh, it was I, I thought the Grateful Dead was like a metal band. When I was, it sounded like a metal band, man, the Grateful Dead. And, and I... I uh, you know, the parents were always like kind of afraid. They were always on guard when the when the, when the dead came to town. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now I, I think slightly differently, but I understand it. Um, but Laguna Seca Raceway also happened to be very close to just over the hills to my my childhood home. Um, so when all the neighborhood kids found out that we had the day off, uh, we decided that we would uh, hike through the hills, five miles or so, to be able to go see the Pope. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, it didn't seem like that big of a deal for us then. We were always playing in the hills. You know, these, these were our hills. We knew them pretty well. Um, so we packed up lunches, brought blankets and squirt guns, and uh, <laughs> off we went. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. A dozen or so seven- to ten-year-old kids <laughs> with no parents, no cell phones, no maps. <laughs> it's, un it's unthinkable now. Uh, but the Pope was coming. And like Zacchaeus trying to climb the tree, we figured the Pope was something we had to see. Unlike Jesus with Zacchaeus, the Pope did not pick us out and come to our house. <laughs> we, actually, we actually got stopped in the hills. Um, the squirt guns we were carrying were those that were popular back in the 80s that actually looked like automatic rifles and like made the sounds and had batteries and whatnot. We had the, 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 the Pope's uh, Secret Service showed up uh, like in the hills, popped up out of the bushes. We're like, no. <laughs> Turn around, kids. We were, you know, we were <laughs> within, within earshot of the Pope, but we didn't make it. But I can relate to Zacchaeus. Sometimes you have to climb a tree or go for a hike just to see what you can see. Many of you have likely heard this story since you were kids. There were songs about it, there were Sunday school lessons, coloring books, all sorts of stuff. And, yeah, hey, you loved it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, I've related to that too. We'll get there. Uh, but when I heard the story as a child, 
all I understood was that there was someone who was too short to see Jesus, uh, so he climbed up the tree to get a better view. Then Jesus comes by and was nice to this little fellow. And as a short person, I was, I, I, that made sense to me. I'm like, great, uh, Jesus likes a short person. But I, don't really understand, I didn't really understand like, the, the depth of the story. It kind of seemed like a sweet but maybe innocuous story uh, that didn't, didn't really make sense. In reality, rather than thinking of my like, you know, six-year-old self, um, I should have been thinking of Tony Soprano. Someone who lived outside of the culture. Someone who's made his money doing something that others condemn. Someone who is dangerous. Tax collectors in this period of ancient Israel worked for the Roman Empire. They were collecting taxes for an occupying nation so that the occupying nation could continue to oppress the people. I think taxes are unpopular now. Back then, they were downright evil. And Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. He's not just in the mob, he's the boss. <laughs> Some biblical scholars suggest that, the, that Zacchaeus's diminutive stature was an allusion to his place in society. In any case, Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming to town, not just any town. Jesus is going through Jericho. Archaeologists now study Jericho as one of the oldest continuously inhabited cities in the world. Hunter-gatherers occupied the area from about 10,000 before the Common Era. A long time. This is, it also has the recorded oldest city fortification the oldest city wall. This is the same wall that the Old Testament God destroyed with the help of Joshua's trumpeters, the event we remember in the book of Joshua in songs like, Joshua fit the bottle of Jericho, 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 and the walls came tumbling down. Exactly. So here's Jesus going through this historical town on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus is on tour. And people were pumped up. There were big crowds everywhere he went. And to get a better look, this guy, Zacchaeus, climbs a tree, a sycamore tree. Sycamore, sycamore. If you want to go climb a sycamore, there are two right there. Well, three, actually. Three within four, five. There are several right here, but two very close to the church. Jesus sees Zacchaeus in the tree and calls him down. Calls him down by name, a guy he had never met and tells him he's going to spend the night at his house. Back then, this was unthinkable. There were issues of cleanliness, issues of proper behavior, issues of how one another would taint your religious status. Even today, having a celebrity or an admirable person at your house is a big deal. More importantly, it's a blessing to have people that you love and admire at your house. But all who saw it grumbled. Usually in these stories, we get just the Pharisees grumbling or some particular group grumbling. But all who saw it, everyone, no one likes this guy. No one. Who is that for us? 
Is there, is there someone that if you saw Jesus going to their house, you would be mad? I can think of one, and it's probably the same one. For me, it's clearly, it's Donald Trump. <laughs> if Jesus showed up and went to stay with Donald Trump, I would be P.O.'d. Woo! Donald Trump needs Jesus just as much as we do. Just as much as we do. Maybe Jesus needs a taco bowl. Jesus probably needs a taco bowl too. But Jesus is not us. Jesus cares for those we have written off. Maybe even Donald Trump. Maybe. (laughs) So Jesus goes to the house of the most hated guy in town. And let's consider this from Zacchaeus' perspective. A stranger is coming to Zacchaeus' house unannounced. While they can be fun, unexpected guests make us vulnerable. They come into our personal space without any opportunity to straighten up. It reminds us, the other day we were talking about uh, what I like to call impromptu carpool shame. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever been in the situation when someone needs a ride and uh, maybe your car is not in like the cleanest of shape? Uh, For me, I would have like wetsuits in the back, probably some Cheerios everywhere, (laughs) shoes. Having someone in my car makes me feel vulnerable. At the core of the Christian life is the practice of hospitality, the practice of opening ourselves up to God and neighbor. That practice requires that we become vulnerable. We put ourselves at risk of being judged, rejected, or used by the people we meet. At the same time, the practice of making ourselves vulnerable can be one of the most rewarding things that we do. Social scientist and author Brene Brown has dedicated her professional life to the importance of vulnerability. Brene, an Episcopalian, <laughs> puts Christian vulnerability in universal t- terms. Staying vulnerable, she says, staying vulnerable is a risk that we have to take if we want to experience connection. As Brene puts it, true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world. Zacchaeus does just that. And sharing his imperfect self leads to a huge change. Zacchaeus becomes dedicated. He gives half of everything he owns to the poor. Half! He's willing to repay anyone that he has defrauded four times the amount. Zacchaeus is in. He's dedicated. He changes his life. And Jesus reminds us, the Son of Man has come to seek out and save the lost. The lost, like the hated tax collector this week, or, and la- the tax collector last week, who beat his, sh- his chest in shame to say nothing of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. On and on, Jesus shows that it is only those who are lost who can be found. In Bernays' language, Jesus turns to the vulnerable. In the case of Zacchaeus and many others, this vulnerability is a, has a shadow side of it. Shame. 
Jesus takes Zacchaeus' shame and transforms it. Again, Brene Brown articulates the transition from vulnerability to the dissipation of shame. She says, if we can share our story with someone who responds with empathy and understanding, shame can't survive. Such is the case with Zacchaeus. As Jesus accepts Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus' shame evaporates and he is able to relate to others who are vulnerable. The poor. That is the power of vulnerability. It opens us up to others who are suffering. Being vulnerable reminds us that only those who are in need of help can be helped. Only the sick can be healed. Only those who have something to give up can make space for God to move in their lives. Which begs the question, how do I need help? How am I lost? How do I reveal my vulnerability to God and neighbor? In our cluttered emotional landscape, it takes some sacrifice to reveal that vulnerability. Like Lazarus, I ask myself the question, what can I give up? Where can I practice vulnerability? And the answer for me is probably busyness. I do a really good job of filling up my days. From my waking moments to when I turn off the light, my days are booked. If Jesus showed up and wanted to come over to my house, I would have to get my phone out and check my calendar. (laughs) It's sad, but true. My impulse is toward maintaining the schedule. For you, it might be different. Maybe Jesus would show up and inspire you to have fun. Maybe Jesus would inspire you just to be a little nicer to yourself. Maybe let someone do something for you. No matter what, there's some way in which we can all make room for God's love in our life. We can all get in touch with our lostness by practicing vulnerability toward God and neighbor. And when we do, Jesus takes our shame and transforms it, reminding us that we are completely in. We are part of God's beloved. We are children of Abraham. God takes us from the shameful and the hated to the blessed and loved. Amen.